Okay, here you go. This is a surprise show. I'm dropping this on the day after the Last Dance documentary, the story of Michael Jordan and the Chicago Bulls run to six championships has finished up on ESPN. And there are no other sports right now because of the pandemic. So this documentary, as it was pieced out and laid out and aired for five weeks, has been like an event. And I've loved every moment of it. I mean, I grew up watching MJ and the Bulls and watching this and knowing that people are gathering around their televisions to watch it like it's you know 25 years ago has just been really special to me. And I called up my buddy Frank Wiley, who right now is an anchor in Cleveland. He was an anchor with me when I worked in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He loves sports. He's so well-spoken. He's intelligent. I've always looked up to him. And he decided that, you know what? I'm with you, James. I'm going to come on. I want to talk about this because I loved MJ like you did. So we're going to break it down. This is it. Off the set. Special show. Me and Frank Wiley. Frank Wiley, Big Frank. Oh, my God. This is so great to have you off the set. It's good to see you, man. I mean, like, I, I can't give you a, I'd give you a virtual hug, I guess, oh, right? I, I'd give you the biggest hug if I saw you. I, <laughs> I, I missed, I missed you so much. I didn't realize how much I missed you until we picked up the phone and called, <laughs> called each other. You, you called me first. Of course, I don't think I picked up because I was probably asleep. Like I, half my life is sleeping. Then I called well, you. Well, you have the crazy schedule. Yeah, oh, it's nuts, but you know it well. So here's the deal. Frank and I used to anchor together in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I mean, a while ago now, we're like, what? We're looking at eight years, nine years. Has it been that long? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Remember, we were T-bowing on the set. We, were- <laughs> <laughs> we, we did do the T-bow, and the viewers didn't exactly love it, but that's okay. Yeah. So, Frank, yeah, Frank was our, was our main weekend anchor, and I was the sports guy. And we really hit it off, and we would just talk all the time. And I, it's funny, like, when you have that kind of friend, that kind of friendship and that chemistry with somebody – this is one of the biggest motivators for me to do this podcast is that I want to try and bring those conversations right here, you know, and, and, and use this as my canvas and just put it down. And it's like we picked up the phone and we just picked right back up like we had just seen each other. Never you know, stopped. Right? I, I know. It was great. The previous weekend, right? From like the weekend shifts. <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, you cost me a lot of work, man. I, I didn't get a lot of stuff done because sometimes you and I got <laughs> caught up doing I had seven minutes of sports to fill, man. I think that is on a lot of people's uh, like annual review. Avoid Frank. Like <laughs> you're not getting any work done. I was the kid that you know you move me. You know that meme. It doesn't matter where you move me in the classroom. I'm just gonna talk to the next person. <laughs> and I, and I'm just gonna go right along with it. I'll, I'll tell you. Yes. I'll tell you. You you sent me a text and you're like, can we talk about the last dance? It's like. It's like you read my mind because I knew if there's anybody because you're a huge basketball fan, you're a huge sport, yeah. you're a huge sports guy. But I knew if there's anybody that's appreciating this Last Dance documentary, it's 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 Frank. Absolutely, man. You know, I, I think it is so well done. We we were talking about this, right? Yeah. I mean, the fact that they just knowing that it's ten parts lets you know how much did not make it off the cutting room floor. Yeah. That's the astounding part because I, I know you've shot stories, you've gone out on interviews, and and you've got that hard choice of picking what's the most compelling sound, and that's a that's a difficult predicament because all of it's compelling. It's just 
one may take us in a completely different direction versus this other direction. So which story do you want to tell? And the fact that they've, they've encapsulated it down to 10 parts like that's 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 almost oxymoronic, right? And it we, almost we feels it, down. it almost yeah. feels like they could do more. <laughs> it it almost yeah. it almost feels like they could do more. Which 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 I want to see what they didn't share. I'd love to see what they didn't share. And so yeah, there's so many things I want to touch on talking to you today. You know, M- MJ's greatness. I, yes. I want to talk about that. Is that it's pretty good? And I also want to talk about this documentary. You know, you and I have been in situations like you were talking about where we have shot interviews and we put, we've pieced stories together. And mm-hmm. could you, after watching this, and maybe I felt, I felt the same way after the O.J. Simpson doc that, that was put out by ESPN that won an Academy Award, uh, which was really brilliant. Right. It was really brilliant. It was really good. Have you ever looked at it as more of a daunting task to do what these filmmakers are doing? All that sound, all that footage, piecing it together, telling the story. All the interviews they did. I mean, I couldn't even imagine being a part of the team that put this together. Yeah. uh, I mean, I think they had to interview Mike three times, right? If I'm not mistaken, they had to interview him three separate occasions. Like the first time they didn't even bring a camera because you want to make sure that people are comfortable with you. Um, They're at least twice, at least twice on camera because he's in two different, two different clothes and two different settings. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, you envy them and then you don't because they get an opportunity to rub shoulders with such uh, iconic figures. But from the standpoint of having to narrow all of this down, I mean, could you imagine being an intern for the people directing this? You're terrified. You don't want to have missed a piece of compelling sound. And speaking of which, if you are an intern and you weren't around, you weren't even thought of when this stuff was happening, so maybe you think it's insignificant when you're listening and logging the sound bites, and then your director, your mentor is like, what? You didn't include this? How could you not? <laughs> so there's so much sound, and there's so many different questions that folks have. You know from being in press conferences, yeah. you only have so much time, and if the person's temperamental, you're lucky if you get any time. So you don't want to miss anything. That's why I think um, the director's cut is going to be amazing if and when they ever release that. Uh, But I think that they've done a phenomenal job. Uh, You were mentioning the fact that some people had to play the villain and they're not necessarily here to defend themselves. Maybe they chose not to be a part of it, or maybe they're just no longer around because uh, life took them away. But I think that they did a pretty fair job up through what, eight episodes so far? Of of really painting uh, a, a... the depth and the breadth of these conversations, it's amazing. It's good. I was, And, and I, I can't stop watching. I, I can't either. I, there's, I, I love the way that it's put together. I like the parallels we're finding. So if we're, like, for example, in this series, The Last Dance, if you haven't watched it, I don't know why you even be listening to this podcast, but you have, let's say we talk about the 90-91 finals, and somehow we're finding right. parallels there to go back, and let's relive Michael's rookie year. Uh, let's go ahead to 91-92. Let's go back to the first playoff game he ever played. And we're, sight- we're, we're going back and forth, but we're filling in his entire career by doing it. And I, I just find that to be so interesting and compelling. And that's been m- the most entertaining thing about this for me. I was going to ask you, of all the things that you've seen and you've watched with this, what are some of the most shocking to you? What are some that have stuck with you the most? Well, you know, I've got to say, I did not know 
all of the details because we were kids, right? Like we were yeah. kids when these guys were doing their thing. And then for the final three, Pete, what was that? 95, 95, 96, 96, 97, 97, 98. You got so it. You got it. I was in middle school at that time. Like maybe, well, maybe fifth grade, sixth grade, something when they got that first uh, to kick off the second round of three Pete's. But I would have never known that someone had to rescue Dennis Rodman from Las Vegas <laughs> from, from the grips of Carmen Electra. Like I, yeah, <laughs> I did not know that. Um, a a, car, a Carmen Electra who was not fully clothed, apparently, as was alluded to yeah, in the right. documentary. Yeah, like I, I, I had no idea that this type of stuff was happening. I felt I found it compelling that you know the coaching staff thought we got to work this guy back into shape, and Michael is rounding the 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 troops, and he's saying. Look, we're gonna jog this out, and Dennis is sprinting the whole thing, and they're like, "Who is this guy?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I found that compelling. I thought, um, I thought it was very compelling to hear that Mike was really seeking his dad's approval, mm-hmm. because um, it kind of registered to me that he didn't get that uh, initially as a kid, and so everything he did was to say, hey, hey, dad, hey, hey, dad, I'm, I'm over here, you know, on down to that, uh, that tongue wag, you know, his dad, from the stories I read, that's what he, he found himself doing, didn't even realize it, you know, while he was cutting the grass or working around the house, that, that tongue would wag. So Mike imitated that. So all of his dad is wrapped up into Michael Jordan and that hyper competitive nature, uh, on a, on a lesser degree, we call it petty, but you've got a team full of petty people. Isaiah Thomas, who, by the way, was great. Uh, Michael Jordan, who was driven so much that when he couldn't find motivation, he made stuff up. I thought that stuff was a myth. I, I thought it was just something somebody saw Mike would make. No, oh, this dude was really making something up. You got cats out here afraid to say hello to you because you're going to take it the wrong way and drop 50 on them in half a game. It was pretty. So it's pretty. I, it's the. It's I thought that was amazing. The way he's wired is unlike any other athlete. He's different. He's different. On the topic of his dad, you know, I'll give you one of my most shocking moments. It's sticking with me. You know, the hearing the audio of him crying, winning that championship, and clutching yes. the first one he yeah. won after his father was killed. Um, uh-huh. Those tears, hearing him cry, st- it sticks with me. Uh, those aren't tears of joy. It humanized him. Didn't it, it did. That, that, that it was a man in pain. He missed he missed his yeah. dad in that moment a lot. Um that that really that really stuck with me. And and you're right and it builds and on it, what you said about his about him always admiring his dad and 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 just hunting yeah. for that approval from him. And there's another parallel. There's another stark contrast. While Mike is on the ground sobbing inconsolably, right? Yeah. His teammates are like, "Yo, we did it again. This is amazing." Mm-hmm. They're elated. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he's going through every phase of grief. It's all been resurrected all over again. In fact, I don't know that that those feelings of grief ever uh, subsided. It, it, it bubbled to the surface again in that moment. The parade's going on over here. And the guy that worked so hard, who was driven by who knows God what, knows what, so many different things, yeah. yeah, is over here and he's not exactly happy. I found that extremely saddening, you know, because these other guys are 
as you said, they're not wired the same. No, they're, they're not. Like, hey, we they're not. The they're not. You, you would think the man who, and look, is really, I mean, 85% responsible for them being able to recapture a championship team, you know, you'd think he'd be like, just take mm-hmm. a moment to bask in it. There are stories that we hear about how lonely he was. Um, how difficult it's be lonely at the top. How difficult it lonely at the top. How difficult it was for him to go into public. Um, mm-hmm. I heard an interview with this is with J. A. Adonde, who was an ESPN contributor, and he also covered the Bulls at the time. And he was talking about how Michael would call grocery stores and ask them if they could just keep somebody on staff to stay after they close, so he could go in and shop. Somebody asked him about going to the mall, and he said, "I'm not ready for that yet. I'm not ready for that. I'm not ready to go to the mall yet." And you think about it, like post Space Jam. When he's won that first that first set of three, and then the the next one, and after the retirement, and whatever, let's just put it all together. At one point in time, and many would argue still today, he was the most famous athlete that we've ever seen. I think ever, 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 ever. ever. So he, just the little things that we think, okay, well, a celebrity can't go do this, but Michael Jordan really can't go do this. And he and you watch that behind the scenes footage of how he had to power through crowds of people, and everyone always wants to talk to him. Everyone always wants to ask him about something, and he was really good at right. moving through him. Frank, I noticed that. I noticed how he was so good at the room at moving through people, you know, and, and keeping going yeah. to where he needed to go. And and he had to, he had to keep that control somehow. He was a master of that. Yeah, a master of it. I. I... I, I cannot agree more uh, with that. And I think that's probably the most impressive part among all these deep playoff runs, because before he was making it to the finals, which he never made it, and didn't win. Uh, but before he was making it to the finals, he was going to the Eastern Conference finals. He went there like twice. I, I, I could be wrong. Fact checkers will get me. But he made it there a couple times prior to breaking through that ceiling. Mm-hmm. Uh and in the midst of all that greatness, even dropping sixty plus points on the one of the greatest teams ever. One of the greatest, the great, Celtics. the great eighty six Celtics. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. And it comes full circle ten years later. He probably has one of the greatest teams ever assembled in ninety six Bulls. What but was the quote Larry Bird the had midst, that night? He said that oh, wasn't gosh. that wasn't Michael Jordan. That was God dressed God, up as Michael yeah. Jordan on the court. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. That's a heck of a compliment from one of the biggest trash talkers of all. And, <laughs> oh yeah. And to know that he made those deep runs and to reach like he wasn't just hot, he was white oh, hot. Man. And to be able to maintain that level of greatness and continue to ascend while dealing with all this stuff on on earth like at the level that we walk and all the crazy crowds, that's amazing. I mean, you have a bad day uh, in your personal life, you may not go to work. You you may not feel good about going in front of the camera to, to, to read through your show. But this guy, it, it seemed like he was unflappable, but in those moments of victory we saw, he was human, just like everyone else. And I find it fascinating that Mike, as much as he strived for greatness and clinched it so many times you tell these grocery store stories which i did not know about he also strived to be normal right he wanted Mm -hmm. to be something different but then he wanted to be just like everyone else and that was a battle that he was i don't know that he's ever gonna live down right there well we we can't ever just walk the streets no 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 well we we talked about this too the other day how the parallels between him and kobe exist and also, nobody knew about that yeah. relationship he had with Kobe. 
And I don't think he wanted anybody. Right, I don't think right. he wanted anybody to know. And I think Kobe came came along at the right time where Michael knew he was on the way out and this kid was on the way in. And instead of looking at him as a competition, I think he took him under his wing privately. Because we learn about saw this. Himself and Kobe. I think he saw himself in Kobe. I think Kobe is I think Kobe might be we might be able to look back now and say, hey, you know, Kobe was a lot like Michael, man. He I think I think he was. He was a score a score first, I'm taking control kind of guy. And that black mamba mentality that he made so famous, maybe, you know, maybe there's a lot of that in Michael too, you know? Absolutely. But and people like Kobe pushed Michael because oh, yeah. he knew that they were they were coming for that throw. <laughs> Father Time it was gonna take him out as well. Absolutely. So he knew. I mean, what what good is it for me to be this great? And then that's it. My greatness can extend if I pass along what I know. Oh God, yes. And that's what he did. Oh, he did. He did. But both of these guys, they they all of their, you know, and LeBron too. They grew up in the public eye. Mm-hmm. You know, imagine how mm-hmm. what was your life like when you were sixteen, seventeen, eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one. I didn't want any. I certainly wouldn't want that kind of exposure when I was that age. So for better or I'll worse, tell you what I was doing. Go ahead. I was playing video games with those characters. That's what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> I was playing with Kobe and LeBron on the video games. Yeah, I was younger. I was trying to, but the uh, damn NBA Jam didn't have any of those guys yeah, in it. I mean, get my, you know, yeah. I mean, guy, I got to be BJ Armstrong and Horace Grant on the Bulls. That's hard. <laughs> it's hard to win with that. No. <laughs> well, all due respect to those guys. Hey, no, yeah. but seriously, I mean, those guys, you know, for better or worse, had to grow up in the public eye like that and it's tough it's tough you can't be normal no you you can't and um kobe i think grew up more isolated than uh among the three when you mentioned lebron kobe and mike with that is a heck of a trio right there yeah i think kobe was more isolated than than any of them you know growing up overseas and then having to you know parachute into a completely different environment here in america Mm -hmm. and having to find himself i think a lot of the aloof demeanor that people kind of picked up on i i think maybe he was just a a kid trying to find himself and he had this gift but he was still just a kid and as you say well what, what were you doing at that age exactly so uh, we have to give people a chance to grow up in Mike and show those college years at North Carolina. It was it three years? I think he he stuck around there and it didn't sound like he wanted to leave. Ever. No, <laughs> oh no, I think he liked it there. In fact, he got that injury. Yeah. It was his first or second year in the league. He went back. Remember, yeah, he went, went back. back to college and was secretly uh, training and playing on that broken uh, ankle that he had or whatever whatever the foot injury was. But I mean, you know, he, he didn't care. He went back. He needed to play. He had to do it. Yeah. He was he was yeah, comfortable. He was comfortable that, there, Frank. He was really comfortable there. That was home. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, he didn't have to put. I, I don't know. We don't know what Mike may may have been if he had gotten that all the accolades as a high school player, because that's what he was striving for. I mean, the guy got cut, yeah. uh, and then you know people were overlooking him. Then he hit this growth spurt, and he just worked his butt off to become uh, among the top players in the nation. And people were still doubting. Him. Well, that's a Tom Brady. That's a Tom Brady thing, though, too. That's that's the Tom Brady complex. It's the 199th. Pick. It's the, yeah. It's the I've always I've always been uh, passed over. I've never been. I've never been the guy. I've never and also you know the well the Tom Brady complex doesn't necessarily work into the Michael complex, but it's you know Tom Brady was more or less. Look, I'm not the biggest, fastest, strongest, but because of that, I need to work 
my work ethic has to be top notch, tip top. It's got to be the best. Um, Michael, mm-hmm. Michael was, he was at one point the fastest, the, the the strongest, you know, and his work ethic was 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 tip top. So that's a scary. Combination. It's a scary combination, man. You, you'd love this. So earlier today, I was talking to, I recorded another interview for a future off the set with a guy by the name of Tracy Williams. And Tracy Williams played at James Madison University. He was a standout. And then he was, became a, a Harlem Globetrotter. And he was tutored by Curly Neal, Melanark Lemon. Oh, wow. it's, it's awesome. I, I met Tracy. He is a part of the National Speakers Association. So is my mom. So years ago, she's like, you know, my son does a college radio show. And he's like, oh, yeah, cool, man. I'll call in sometime. That guy called in and we treated him. He made us feel like rock stars. He was incredible. I mean, I love I love him to this day. But anyway, I wanted to get his take on some things, so we did an interview. Anyway, here's something you didn't know about Tracy. He played high school basketball against Michael Jordan. So I had a chance to what? Yeah. Yeah. From North Carolina. Right? So I'm like, okay, you share he's like, I shared the court with Michael all all the time. Tons of times. I'm like, well, what stood out with you? What stood out to you the most about him? And he said, you know, even in tenth grade, his hands. He's like, this guy's hands were huge. huge. And I, he's like, I'll never forget that. He could palm a ball. He could, the way he shot, the way he could handle it. Hands, Frank. What a weird, what a strange thing he remembers. But that's, you know what, that Phil Jackson mentions that in 11 rings. Because he was talking about, the, you know, the, the commonalities between Kobe and Mike, as you had alluded to moments ago. And he was saying that Michael uh, was a better defender. Kobe was more flexible, though. But he said the hands. He said Michael could just grab the ball like it wasn't like a grapefruit. Like a, like a grapefruit. And do whatever he wanted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He just grabbed the ball. He said that gave him an advantage. You wouldn't think your hand, but he said that gave him an advantage over so many players. And so that's that's funny that you would say that because that's something that stuck out of Phil's book. I read that a few years ago. And I mean I guess it makes sense. You have more control over the ball, which yeah. That kind of kills the argument for people like Shaq, who are like, oh, my hands are too big, I can't shoot the free throws. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> Shaq said, Shaq, like yeah, Shaq, Shaq was trying to say, like, when I shoot, it's like trying to, it's like trying to, uh, uh, like the average person trying to toss a tennis ball in a basketball hoop, which if you ever try to do mm-hmm. is, is a little difficult, but yeah, I don't know, man, I, I just think he was a bad free throw shooter. Hey, I got another one. I got another one. So I looked this up. Al Michaels tells a story on Dan Patrick's radio show years ago. And he's playing golf with Michael. Obviously, they're playing for for some couple shekels, you know. And they go in. This is 1998. They go into the bar uh, at the turn. And this is during the home run race. Remember the Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa home run race? Oh, my God. Okay, remember that? That was epic. Do you remember how we would just wake up every morning and we'd turn on ESPN and look at the bottom line? Remember the bottom line? The little It's still a ticker. It still yeah. runs. But we would look to see if Maguire or Sosa hit a home run every morning, yeah. right? So yeah. they're, they're playing um, at the turn, and I think Michael said something like, I wonder, if, I wonder if Sosa went deep last night. At the bar, 40 feet away from the bar, is one of those old, well, at that time it wasn't old, but those tube televisions. Remember those little tube TVs uh-huh. we used to have? And you know how the yeah. you got standard definition. The picture is terrible. I mean, compared to what we have today, he said from forty or fifty feet away, Michael looked over right away and could see the bottom line ticker and said, "Nope, you went one for four with a double last night." And Michael's 
was recounting this to Dan Patrick, and he said, at that point I realized Michael Jordan might have the greatest eyesight of any human on earth. <laughs> so I wonder if there's something to that. He might have just hawk, this hawk's vision, just incredible vision. Could that be part of his greatness too? Could that be something that made it him? It has to be. Yeah. Because Tiger, Tiger, uh, you know, when he had that surgery, it was in LASIK initially, and it was kind of like LASIK. Everybody's like, what, what is LASIK? Another advantage for Tiger Woods. <laughs> but there's something to that when you've got a ball and you've got to put it in a hoop or a cup. I mean, it, it, it begs the question. You just tie the guy down and say, who are you? Really? Who are yeah. you? Yeah, what do you <laughs> the best what? eyesight of ever <laughs> yeah. from forty feet away on an old jacked up definition? And you know, television? you know, I, I know I said forty feet, and I'm sorry, I don't have it in front of me. I don't have but the but, the but room. across the room, it could have been more than forty feet. But you try it, like seriously, look like look fifty feet down to something, and like it's like an eye chart when you go to the doctor's office. You know, the, I'm sorry, it's like an eye chart when you go get your eyes checked. Like, yeah, you're not even, yeah, you're not, no, what, you're 15 yeah. feet away, and you're having a hard time reading it, well, at least I am. <laughs> Struggling. Yeah. Yeah. It's just, the, what makes him up is uh, just, like, hyper-competitive is almost an understatement, but those other gifts he had, like the huge hands, you talk about this eyesight, uh, extremely bright, extremely bright on the basketball court. Sure. And ruthless. Absolutely. Ruthless. Like, he... He played an angry style of basketball that lifted people out of their seats. You know, Magic was kind of like, ooh, ah, wow. Mike was just like, ooh, ooh. Did he just, oh mm -hmm. my, that was so mean. Oh, yeah. Oh, that was nasty. Yep. And I think he really inspired that type of play with, um, with Kobe. Yes. Uh, you see it in some of LeBron's dunks. And you hear people talk about that killer instinct. I think when they say that, they're they're trying to encapsulate the whole tone of this guy's game. It was just so mean. All right, there's one. It was just mean. there. There you are missing. You are missing one thing that we need to talk about, and that is his his sure. persona and how he was able to yeah. how how he projected himself in the public eye versus how he actually was. Because that's the big draw. of This last yeah. dance documentary is that we're seeing the real Michael Jordan. We're we're see, we're really we're pulling back that that onion layer, and we're seeing yeah. we're seeing more and more of the real yeah. guy. But in public, this guy was charismatic. He hosted Saturday Night Live. He starred in the Space Jam movie. He was in the Nike commercials. He was in the Gatorade commercials. He was he was in all these things, and we just always thought he was the greatest, nicest guy. He must love his teammates. He must be so good to them. But all actuality, okay, he he may have loved some of his teammates. He wasn't the nicest guy to them. As we as we're learning in no. the documentary, so like that persona, could that exist today? I don't think so. I mean, social media has exposed the TMZs, the the behind the scenes, the the the, the tweets. It's exposed a lot of these athletes and shown, unfortunately, their their true colors in some situations. You know. Mm -hmm. And so, so could could we drop prime Michael Jordan in today's basketball world, more or less? I think. Well, we can, but it's not going to be the Michael we knew. No. Oh, no, we thought we knew. The Michael, I, we thought I, we knew. There are guys who fly under the radar, namely Kawhi Leonard. I mean, and I think that a lot of that is calculated personality, but I also, I also think it's calculated. Sure. I think, yeah. you know, he, he's, I mean, it's almost like, okay, if they don't hear me speak, 
they can't say I said this. They can't attribute this <laughs> thought to me. Their imaginations can't. Yeah. But I never said that. Um, even after Kawhi hit that shot that bounced around like four times on the rim and they asked him about right. it. That was the most vocal I had ever heard Kawhi, and it was still very like. It was very subdued. Um, it was still subdued. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'd be, He's I'd like, be losing yeah, my mind if I made that shot. I'd be like, ah, right. oh my god, let's go. Ah! <laughs> It'd be I, like Kevin Garnett or something. Right? Oh yeah, I'd be, I'd be losing it. Yeah, exactly. Well, Kevin yeah, Garnett was, see, Kevin I, Garnett was too busy trying to get that diamond. Oh wait, that oh that's the that's in the, oh that's in the movie. I'm sorry, my bad. You I, I, don't tell me the oh I won't I won't. It's it's unbelievable. You haven't seen Uncut Gems yet, Frank. No, but I got all this time at home, so I got to. Frank, it. make that the next movie you see. Is it? Good? Yeah, make it the next movie you see. Yes, I like Sandler, so I can. Yeah, just just trust me. Make make it the next movie you see. Please tell me KG is not corny in the movie. Like no, he's at, he's excellent. No, he's he's excellent. He's excellent. Good. Yeah, in, in this in I'll, this guy's you, you humble opinion. It, yeah, check it. it out. Check it out. I, I, you know, I, I think Mike could could exist in this era. Um, I, sans the wide leg jeans and uh... <laughs> I've missed the '90s style though. I've seen so many things and outfits he had on, and there was like a he almost had like a male romper on at one time. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like a man, a man, a, a momper. <laughs> I, I was like, oh what? I don't know. Only he could pull that off. Yeah, but he was, you know, I, when I, you got that behind, when you, when they were with him in places like the car, you know, when he had like a, a driver taking him somewhere or he's talking yeah. to those security guards who like were his only friends, really. I mean, outside of the team. You know, he loved those couple, the two security guards. Like, he's playing quarters with them. You know, he's messing around yeah, with them. Yeah. But he was genuinely having a nice nice time with them. But otherwise, you know, you see a, you see a guy who's um, somebody I, I'd be really intimidated to sit down next to and try and talk to. I mean, he's a very, you know, very forceful man. Very forceful man. Very, very alpha oh, personality. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and he doesn't really let his guard down unless he's with his mom or those guys and clearly his dad. Mm. We haven't seen any footage. We saw footage of him with his little boys uh, in the in the. But you know something that stood out to me? We did because his his sons were young at the time, yeah. and they were the the Olympics. I think maybe that's what it was. No, no, they were playing an exhibition game. That's, that's right. That's it right. It was the exhibition game. He was dribb- He was yeah. dribbling with his son next to his son. Yeah, that was a very rare, yeah, yeah, very rare footage. Yeah, you don't see that much. But I think the thing that stood out to me among that crowd that uh, the security guards, um, and. My colleague told me that one of them was a retired Chicago cop who also was a veteran. The guy with the uh, long curly hair, he says he's since passed. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. I got to check that. But he says this gentleman, you know, uh, was was uh, a veteran and a former cop. But the thing that stood out was those guys um, were older. They were older. Yeah. They were much older than Michael. He had to surround himself with people that would have less interest, a lesser interest in trying to gain something personally who've already been there and done that. These guys could have been twice his age at that time. It's true. They could have been. And I'm sure they were willing to impart. In fact, one said that, you know, in the middle of the night, Mike called me sobbing. You know, they were willing to impart wisdom. Um, but he knew well enough to know I can't, I can't get a bunch of guys that are my age because they don't, they don't see me as an equal. They see me up here, you know, as opposed to LeBron, who already knew those guys 
that he's constantly with who are his business partners and longtime friends. I, I didn't see that type of circle with Mike in this series. I haven't seen that. Maybe they're there and they're behind the scenes. But what I did see is these gentlemen were friends, mm -hmm. but they were much older. And, and there's something to be said about mentorship when you seek out the help of people who are much older because theoretically they may have experienced a lot of things you haven't seen yet. Now he's experienced some things they probably never will see because he's Michael Jordan, but they can impart wisdom where, where they can catch him where he's slipping and they can stop that fall. They can break that fall. And they, and they, they appeared to be extremely genuine. So that's to be appreciated. That really stood out to me. That, that's a good point. What a bizarre inner circle he had though. I mean, I mean but then yeah. again, like we look at like, what do we expect? It was going to be different. It was going to be strange given his, yeah, immense popularity. So let's head for home with this because we're. This is going to be a surprise podcast release on Monday, after everything is already aired. Here's what's going to stick with me when this is all when this documentary is done, and and I have this impression of this team I grew up thinking is the greatest team ever, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls. Right? They broke it up, and did they break it up too soon? <laughs> and what and what because it's really being it's it's being painted as and you've got Jerry Krause the GM at the time being painted as the villain when it's a shame Frank because he died I mean he can't he passed away a couple can't of years ago can't defend himself and we're and you and I are both very smart never to mistake a documentary for a piece of journalism because oftentimes yeah. it is someone's point Who of view sign off on uh -huh. <laughs> exactly <laughs> Mr. Jordan but you know, yeah. you heard Jordan say it in the documentary, and, and you've heard him say it since then, is like they deserve the right to defend that title that last year, but instead the team was broken up because ownership felt, for better or worse, they needed to move in another direction and get younger. But it's unfathomable, unfathomable today. It is unfathomable today that they got rid of the greatest player who ever played. And in Phil Jackson's eyes, Scottie Pippen, the second greatest player in the world at the time. And they broke it up. They didn't give it a chance. And they broke it up. Yeah. They broke it up. But you know what, James? I got to be honest. Um, some of the moves, this is nowhere near the same level. But Sam Presti made some moves that maybe he had to take the blame for. Thunder GM. Uh, thunder. thunder you know, yeah, Oklahoma City. Yeah. That, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm sipping the thunder juice right yes, here. Yes, you are. You know, <laughs> yes, you uh, are. He had, to make some, he had to make some moves. And who's to say that all those moves run him? It's not his team. Nah. He's the general manager. But who's the owner? Right? So if the owner of the Bulls said absolutely not i've got to think it's not gonna happen and so we can't put that all on the general manager because he's just making moves that he think he thinks are right i uh, think that he believes to be the right moves for the team but sometimes he may have to claim he thinks it's the best move for the team because the person who hired him says this is what you will do i think that the owner could have stepped in at some point i think that all the owners of this, they can't they can't lie with the general manager. I just don't think that's fair. And another thing, he saw these guys every single day. Like you think again, going back to the Thunder, and people see that blockbuster trade with Paul George and that whole haul, and we got SGA and a host of picks. But he saw Paul George in practice every day. He saw those shoulders up close and personal. So the general manager of the Bulls. He saw these guys every single day. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, in one of those series, maybe the last two years of that final three-peat, Scotty's back. It might have been the final year. I don't know. I have to go back and do the research. But his back was giving him so much trouble 
that he he couldn't he couldn't do what Scottie Pippen normally did. Mm-hmm. But Phil said, "Okay, we just need you out there almost as a decoy, almost like uh, Terrell Terrell Davis esque, you know, with the with the migraines. We're not going to give you the ball, but they need to see you out there to believe that you could get it." Scottie couldn't move, but he was still out there. So. Who's to say the next year he would have held up and this whole Michael Jordan never losing in the finals? That that might have been that might have been ended ah. right there by the Spurs. It, it could it could have been the I next year. I don't remember him as losing. No, I don't either. It, I, I'm I'm kind of glad it's it's bottled up in the way it is. But you're right. You're right about that. They were kind of held on by with dental floss that last year. I mean, Rodman wasn't. Rodman had a really bad. Uh, he had a really bad playoffs in '98, and you'll see this as you see the last two episodes. But he was he wasn't good. He also was having some no. emotional problems again. But he there was a, in, an interview he did before one of the games. I think it was the one in Utah where Jim Gray did the interview with him on NBC, and he had um, he basically started crying. Um, he was asked about coming back. Uh, he made some con- he made some derogatory comments about something. Started crying and walked off. So that was a problem. And wow. and he just and he wasn't productive. So and you said Scotty's back and Michael was tired. <laughs> Michael was exhausted. So yeah, yeah, you're right. I don't know. I mean, hindsight's everything. But you know, and, and we're talking about this differently too, because the Bulls did. They of course they punted on all these guys and they moved on as a franchise. And they, but the guys they drafted to replace, you know, in the years that followed, the guys they drafted with those higher picks because they had bad seasons. They didn't pan out either. They didn't become superstars. Yeah. You know, Elton Brand, Eddie Curry, yeah, we were right. talking about that. Um, that could have been a whole lot different, too. Yeah, yeah. And, I, you know, I think I'd rather see them walk away with this ongoing argument that no one can dispel. It could be right. It could be wrong. I could say they won six championships every time he was completely – he played a complete season in the 90s for the Bulls, uh, Sands 1990 when the Pistons won. I could say, you know, every time he from ninety one on, every time he was there, he won it. They won. Yeah. But then people say, well, they could have lost to the Spurs. They could have lost to the Rockets. We don't. We know. don't know. That's that's for the never ending conversation. It's an evergreen conversation. But I would rather see them walk out on top than to see them turn into the nineteen ninety one Pistons. Right. Yeah. Like I don't want to but- see these guys get taken over by another team. I don't want to see them, you know, uh, you know, holding on with duct tape and and a crutch or, what, or something or rolling around on. The how court. about the 2019 Warriors? I mean, yes. you know, there's another. That was painful. It was painful. They didn't just get beat in the finals by the Raptors. They got they got they got hit hard. I mean, they really did in a lot of facets of the game. Yeah. And then you know, then they have like a the following season. Of course, it was cut short because of the pandemic, but. Where they won like ten games or something? Not even. I mean, and here's the thing: Did anybody feel? Did anyone outside of the Bay hmm. that just from a fan standpoint feel for those guys because of the way that they were winning? But then they created this this super team, right? So nobody would have felt sorry for the Bulls no. after all that winning if you say Michael is injured and Scotty's back is because he, he had like a uh, some sort of it was a back. I don't want to. I don't know if it was herniated disc or what but it was it was giving giving him trouble in the leg as well as his lower back but nobody would have felt sorry for the bulls nobody would have felt sorry for you know um poor dennis 
with the things that he was dealing with because no. they would have said, well, you know what? It, it must be nice to have six rings and cry. They would not have cared. So I love the fact that they were able to step away whether they wanted to do it or not. And, and nobody can ever say, well, we took this team to the finals and beat them. You know, the, the Magic tried to do that. They, they tried to do that regarding the playoffs and they bragged about it. They said, we got these guys. And what happened the next season when Mike came back in shape? They got swept. Yeah. They got swept. He avenged that 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 loss. And that and shut and really shut and they shut su- that that potential dynasty down before it even started. I mean, imagine what that could have been. been so I mean, we could just keep going. I mean, that magic team could have been really something special. I mean, you know, Shaquille yeah. O'Neal and Penny Hardaway and then everything they were building around. Left too soon. They did a whole thirty for thirty on what could have been there, you know? And and someday there'll be a thirty for thirty on your Oklahoma City Thunder. You know, they'll, they'll, we've got to get it. We've got to talk about what could have been there because when you had, you drafted three MVPs, you drafted. James, I need to support this right now. I, I need to. <laughs> uh, are you, a, are you a Jordan shoe collector? I, I wanted to ask you that. I know you got to get, I was, I wanted to ask I, you, do you have a couple pictures? I, I, I was, I, I, um, Frank, I was I was a little bit of a nerdy kid, you know. I, I played uh, a lot of baseball growing up, but style wasn't my thing. Um, I will say I've got the Kyrie's in my closet now when I play pickup basketball, and, uh, oh. and I'm a big I'm a big fan, big big fan of the of the shoe, you know. It does it does wonders for for this white boy here, you know. Because <laughs> I <laughs> so how about you? I. I, I could not really afford them growing up. I remember my first job. I went out and bought the uh, – you remember Vin Baker? Of course I remember Vin Baker. Vin Baker had these uh, Nike – these these Jordan Pro Strongs. Anyway, <laughs> I went I, – I couldn't afford the Jordan 13s or 14s, whatever they were. It was basically the same shoe, but it wasn't. It was like – it was like the Jordan for the guy who couldn't afford the Jordans. And so these were cheaper, and those are what I bought. I didn't actually have a pair of Jordan, like signature Jordans. And so, um, my goodness. Well, mom, mom used to take us. Six years mom ago. took us to pay less a lot because, you know, we were never. She just, she, yeah. my mom, I, I, I had phenomenal parents. But she was not a believer that we should be spending $120 for shoes. So, you know, I yeah. never, I never got the, uh, I never got the top of the line ones either. So I think I was getting like the knockoffs. Wasn't it like an and one mixtape shoe? Cause I think I, I know I had that It had, it had I, a microphone on the back I of it. Some and ones. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I had to get a pair that uh, lit up in the back too. It, when I was in probably oh, elementary goodness. school. Well, the microphone on the shoes kind of foreshadowed what was, what was uh, to come with your career. So that was <laughs> Oh, uh, that oh, was oh you, you don't mean like breaking people's ankles out in Rucker Park or anything? Oh, oh broadcasting. Oh, right. Well, I mean, you could do that, too. <laughs> you could do that, too. Uh, you know what I'm saying? That could be your secret. You come out there like uh, Woody Harrelson on uh, a White Man Can't Jump. And then they pick you up, and then you're just destroying everybody. You know, you you know the that is the, you know the story about the making of that movie. Wesley Snipes was so bad at basketball. Did you know this? Like the way they had to, the way they had to that. film the scenes and everything, they had to really work around his his um, inability to, to look convincing as a look, basketball player. Look like Jordan. They made him look really good. Woody Harrelson apparently really could play, but Wesley Snipes when they were when they were making the movie, yeah, Ron Shelton directed That's it. So he he talked. He was did an interview. He talked about it. Like they had to they had to kind of you know do some higher higher angles. You know, maybe not show him taking off off the ground and. 
It was pretty. It was pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. I thought Sidney Dean was the the greatest player since Michael Jordan. Well, Frank, Frank, of course. I think you'd be wrong, Frank. I think you'd be wrong. Hey, man, this was this was uh, this has been yeah, has been great. Can we do this again sometime? Just just give me a shout, man, and listen. I owe you a huge apology because you know sometimes life gets in the way, but then it's like, yeah, but not for that long. So I will I will be better about just picking up the phone to say what's up. I know everybody has a hectic schedule, so if we can't connect, then I'll leave a text message or something. But, you know, you're a great person. You're great at what you do. And what you're doing right here uh, with your platform is amazing. Uh, you do a wow, great job you, interviewing, and, and you, you come up with great topics. And this whole uh, time machine thing is something I've been thinking about, like, all week long for context you you mentioned um sports time machine and what you would go back and change and so i've been thinking about this incessantly um since you mentioned it so you know i i I just want you to continue to do what you're doing and uh you're inspiring people you've inspired me i mean i'm calling you about microphones yeah well i know you're you're, you're, you might get in the podcast game i i just think First of all, thank you so much, Frank. And it's a two-way street, okay? I, I could have picked up the phone too, but all that matters is is that we did reconnect, okay? And I'm really glad. I'm really happy that we did, okay? And uh, everything Absolutely. you said about me, I, I'll say it about you. You are immensely talented. Like I told you on the phone, hey, we're real anchor men now. <laughs> <laughs> we did. We made it. Thanks to Frank. Thanks to you. We do drop new episodes every single Friday. Maybe I'll throw in a surprise one every now and again. You can subscribe to Off The Set on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher. This has been Off The Set with me, James Tuckle.